So young Peter Parker, this high school student who is bitten by a radioactive spider, gains superpowers and becomes the beloved Spider-Man. In this most recent movie, which is still out in the theaters here, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, Spider-Man's facing a lot, a lot of pressure where he's kind of out of his element in addition to being a newly minted superhero. Uh, Spider-Man and half the planet cease to exist for five years because of this super bad guy named Thanos. And now they have been uh, restored to existence and the rest of the world has moved on for five years and now they're trying to integrate back with the rest of the planet. So it's this awkward time uh, for Spider-Man and and half the planet trying to reorientate to life among the people who didn't disappear. On top of that, uh, his school group has left America from his hometown, New York City, gone to Europe on a tour. So he's a little bit out of his element there. Uh, His beloved mentor, Uh, who he looked up to, was teaching him how to be a uh, superhero, is dead. He feels lost without him. And in addition to all that, he's trying to establish his very first romantic relationship with a girl that he'd like to be his girlfriend. So needless to say, he feels way out of his element, way in over his head, uh, and things are stressful for him. So on this uh, vacation where he's trying not to be Spider-Man, trouble continues to follow him, and he's forced to act upon that. Check this out. So Spider-Man's facing these big bad guys, and he says to his new sort of boss, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I swing on webs in New York City. This is not really for me. Kind of in over my head, out of my element. You know, folks would call this a kind of a fish out of water story. We've got a kind of a brief definition for that. You know, when you find yourself in unfamiliar, often uncomfortable surroundings or situations, it makes for a great storytelling kind of technique. But When it happens in your own life, when we find ourselves in some uncomfortable or unusual circumstances, it's not as much fun. And we realize that it's not just made up uh, superhero teenagers that have kind of these fish out of water experiences. It also happens in real life, too. And I think that's what kind of sucks us into some of these movies is we can see that we're not the only ones in life who deal with being uncomfortable, being the one person who seems to stick out among others, maybe feeling like we're the weirdo. I mean, in your life, when have you felt like a fish out of water, trying to gasp for some air, grabbing a lifeline because you're just out of your element, way in over your head, not able to control the situation? Because again, I don't think it's limited to to superheroes uh, like Spider-Man. We we can see this a lot in uh, times in our life when we move to a new town or, or to a new city and and people do things differently there. We start a new job, or we start a new year in school, or we have a, a new roommate when we go back to college, and, and they do things just a little bit differently, and maybe we're the ones who are the fish out of water. Or maybe it's a, a health diagnosis, something that our body is, is going through and shifting, and, and we're, just, we're not used to, to dealing with that, and our new normal is not normal yet. Um, for maybe some of us, it's, it's in different areas and just where we find ourselves as a fish out of water. For some of us, uh, it's, it's the way that we believe. You know, sometimes we show up at a party and, and people there that we respect or begin to use, pull out drugs and we just we feel awkward about being in, in that situation. Or maybe they begin to tell racist or sexist jokes and really kind of surprise us and we're the only ones who aren't laughing. Or maybe we find ourselves in a religious or a political discussion and, and all the people around us think differently than what we do. We're on, uh, across the aisle on the party and we feel that we're the ones who were sticking out. So when in your life have you felt 
like a fish out of water. And in our own country, I, I would imagine that, that half the people in America sometimes feel that, that we're fish out of water because half the nation believes differently about some things that are important, uh, such as human sexuality or, or immigration or gun control or how much the government should or should not intervene into our lives or foreign policy. And so we, we find ourselves believing certain things that half the nation doesn't agree with. And some of us want to conserve things. We, we want to keep things the same. We, we, we like some of the things about the past in America, and we want to make sure that we hang on to those things and conserve them and, and not change them. And we're just blown away that half the nation doesn't agree with us. And some of us want to see some progress, want to see that we want to move forward and, and that there are some things in the past that maybe have not been so great and we need to, we need to move past that and, and to progress and make progress and to move forward and, and to see some changes that happen. And we can't believe that half the nation doesn't want to go with us. So I think this is, is, is very typical of the American political divide right now that we find ourselves in. And all of us in some way, form, or fashion feel kind of like we're the fish out of water and why don't people agree with us? Now, the funny thing is, the interesting thing is, um, is that, uh, and again, I'm kind of simplifying politics, saying that you know, conservative wants to keep things the same and liberal progressive want to, to change things and move forward. But it really in our own lives, aren't we kind of a mixture of all of that? There are things in our lives that we want to keep the same and we don't want them to change. And, and there are things in our life that we absolutely think need to change and, and, and as soon as possible would be the best route. You know, and so we're, we're kind of like this mixture. And my wife would say that about me and, and she would probably, you know, point to some examples. Uh, you know, I, I was willing uh, for my congregation to knock down its 50 year old building uh, so that we could rebuild that and try to reach people in a new way here in, in the South Park community. But when she makes a minor suggestion about how to change the decor in our living room, I'm like, absolutely not. You know, and so on one hand, I'll knock down a whole building and be a part of that. On the other hand, don't, you know, change my armchair. And so isn't that funny how in our own lives, we're all conservative, we're all progressive. It just depends on what the issue is. But a lot of times we just can't understand why other people don't agree with us. And so in your lives, when have you felt like a fish out of water? Or maybe right now, how do you feel like a fish out of water? Is that at school? Is it at work? Is it with your family, in your community? What does that look like for you? And how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we deal with that? Because we don't have superpowers and we don't have billion dollar budgets that Marvel Studios has. So how do we deal with being the fish out of water? Because sometimes it's just not fun. Well, thankfully, in the Bible, God gives us a lot of examples and gives us some good advice. And we're going to dive into that because I think God understands what we go through and wants to help us through that. And so today we're going to spend basically all of our time focusing on one story in the Old Testament, the ultimate fish out of water story, the story of a man named Jonah. Uh, and we're going to talk about him. And Jonah lived about 750 years before Jesus was born. And he lived in Israel, right? The, the chosen nation of God in the Old Testament times to help show the world who God is. And, and what's happened in Israel is there's, there's been like a civil war. And so the original 12 tribes of Israel have divided. And so in the northern part of Israel, there are 10 tribes that are united. And that's called Israel. 
And in the southern part, a kingdom is broken off with two of the tribes, and it's called Judah, and they're separate. They have different governments, they have different rulers, different kings, all that sort of thing. Our focus is going to be in the north, where uh, uh, Jonah is growing up, he's living uh, his life in the northern part of Israel, when God calls and interrupts his life to really challenge Jonah to make him feel like a fish out of water. Now, at this time in Israel's history, uh, their main enemy was the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrians and the Israelites did not get along. And and the Assyrian army and the Assyrian rulers, uh, they were were tough. And so uh, this was uh, just a big rivalry and things weren't good between them. And so God is going to call Jonah to go into Assyria to the capital city of Nineveh and to preach to all the people that will listen to him that they're doing the wrong thing and if they don't stop, they're going to be in trouble, but they have a chance to turn back to God. So we pick up the story where God invites Jonah to do this and let's see what his reaction is. Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. I've got to be careful how I pronounce that. That's a funny sounding word. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So God calls Jonah to go from Israel to uh, Assyria, to the capital of Nineveh, and to preach to the people, saying, "You're, you're messing up, and you need to turn back, and you need to turn to God. So Jonah, go to your enemies, go to the capital city. It might be a little dangerous, and I want you to do that. And Jonah, uh, who's tapped a prophet, a spokesperson for God, does something that we don't really see a lot of people do in the Old Testament that God chooses to do his work. Jonah rebels. Now, the other prophets have kind of, you know, kind of pushed back against God, but Jonah, he flees. He goes the other way. So Nineveh is here, Tarshish is here, and so he's headed as far away from Assyria, from Nineveh, as he can go. Because these are his enemies, and he doesn't love them. He doesn't want them to be saved. Uh, and they have a reputation, right? The Assyrian rulers, the Assyrian military, uh, some of them are very evil people. And they do horrible things, and they make sure the world knows about it so that no one will want to resist them. So some of these Assyrian leaders, and it's not all the Assyrian people, but some of the Assyrian leaders are just wicked and cruel people. What they do to their enemies is horrible. They, they take them while they're alive and they dismember them. They cut off one hand, one arm at a time, go to the leg, go to the other arm, go to the hand, and leg, all that kind of stuff. They would cut the skin. They would skin them literally alive right off their bodies. They, they would take the children of the enemies and set them on fire and burn them to death right in front of them. That's the Assyrian leadership. That's who God is saying, I want you to go there to these people and tell them they're doing wrong. right? And, and we can't blame Jonah. He's like, there's no way I'm going to do that. that. That would risk my life. I'm not big fans of them. And so Jonah flees from God. right? He flees from Nineveh. He flees from Assyria. And so he gets in the ship. 
maybe we've heard the story. Uh, God causes the storm to come up. The people on the boat are trying to figure out what's going on. Everyone begins to pray to their gods. There's only one real God, so people are praying to false gods. Jonah is kind of hanging out by himself, and pretty soon people figure out something's going on with Jonah. The captain approaches him, says, what's going on? Jonah says, it might be my fault that this is happening. The captain says, what should we do about that? He's like, well, you probably want to throw me over the board. Uh, it's not my preference. And so the captain and the people on the ship throw Jonah overboard and everything calms down. About that time, God causes a big fish. Doesn't say whale, might have been a whale, but a big fish comes and swallows Jonah whole. The fish is so big that it has air inside of the fish. And for three days, Jonah is left to ponder what he had done as he sits inside of this big fish. Now, now, unsurprisingly, Jonah's sitting inside the big fish and he begins to question his behavior uh, and he changes his tune. He says, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You were right. You know, can you help me out? And so God forgives Jonah. Uh, and then it says that God calls the fish to come out and to vomit Jonah out onto the land. So lesson being run from God, end up fish puke. Okay, so uh, that's Jonah's story uh, to begin with. And none of us can probably blame Jonah. We wouldn't want to go do what Jonah was called to do in the 21st century. And so uh, let's see what happens next. So Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Right? I'm not changing my mind, Jonah. This time Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through. So Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. He's preaching. He's saying, you guys are doing the wrong thing. You need to repent. You need to turn around, turn to God, or you guys are toast. And so he goes about it. He does all this. And, and to Jonah's, maybe surprised, probably not surprised, but, uh, but, but to Jonah's eyes and ears, he sees miracles happen. The people, everyone who hears Jonah listens to what he has to say. They turn away and they say, we've done the wrong thing. We, we ask for forgiveness. They turn to God. Even the ruler of Assyria himself says, I'm wrong. And he, he asks for God's for forgiveness. And the Bible says that God decides to spare Nineveh from destruction. And all these people come to have a relationship with God. Uh, and, and Jonah sees that. And then in, in chapter 4, this is what, what Jonah does. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, God, I knew it. You're just too good. You're too loving. I knew that if I went there, that, that you would use me to, to cause these people to turn away and that you would forgive them, God. Right? But, but Jonah sees them as the enemy. Right? These people are evil. They do horrible things, God. You know what they do. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And I don't want to be a part of this, Lord, so just kill me now. I don't want to be a part of their salvation. This is not cool. I'm not in with this. I knew, God, that you would do this, which seems kind of like a harsh reaction. right? Most pastors would say, wow, God used me to reach the furthest people from, from him. That's amazing. God, thank you for letting me do that. But, but Jonah had some hate, it seems, for the people of Assyria. 
and, and maybe justifiably so. And, and, and in the Old Testament, right, the, the theology that Jonah grew up with in Sunday school and worship and vacation Bible school, they had all that kind of stuff way back then, was that, uh, that if you're good, then good things are going to happen to you. God's going to cause good things to happen to you. But if you're evil or wicked, then bad things are going to happen to you. And so Jonah's like, these people have done wrong. They are wicked. They, they burn our children. They, they, they cut our flesh off while we're alive. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve to be spared, God. I don't want to be a part of their salvation. I want to put them on the freight train straight to hell, and I'm going to drive that train. Right? Jonah's like, I don't want to be a part of it. This is not our theology. Now, also in the Old Testament, in, in books such as the book of Job, he kind of shakes this theology up. And in the book of Job, we find out that bad things happen to good people and that good things sometimes happen to bad people. And we have to wrestle with that. And so either Jonah doesn't know that Job has been written or he hasn't seen it or he's read it and he disagrees with Job. God, I don't want to be a part of this. They don't deserve it, right? I'm out. But then God's perspective is everybody deserves a second chance. Everybody, no matter who you are, what you've done, right? I love you. I created you in my image, God says, and, and I want to give you a chance to, to have right restored into your life. And I'm ready to forgive you and to give you a different path for the future. And so, I, Jonah, that's what I've done. And God ultimately is patient with Jonah. And interestingly enough, Jonah continues to stay linked with God, even though he disagrees with God. He continues to stay in this relationship with God. It's kind of this love-hate kind of relationship, but he stays tethered to God through all of this. So maybe the question now is, well, so what? Right, we're in the 21st century, so what does this mean for our lives? Right, God's probably not going to call us to, to go overseas and preach. Maybe he might do that. God's probably not going to have us be swallowed up by some big fish. And, uh, what, is it, what does it look like for us? What, how does it speak to us when we feel like fish out of water in our circumstances? And What's the message of Jonah? What's the message of the scripture today? And I did a lot of work on this. I really tried to analyze the Hebrew verbatim. Okay, so so what? Uh, when you're a fish out of water, uh, be sure to take your scuba gear. That's exactly what I saw in the original Hebrew. Uh, no, that's, that's my paraphrase making that up. Uh, when you're fish out of water, be sure to take your scuba gear. Now, a little fish out of water would have a little, you know, fish tank on him that had water that was recirculating through him, right? When we go scuba diving, we've got a picture of that. You know, it's just a metaphor. Work with me here. And we've got the, the two most important things are an air tank that has the air, and then the hose that comes up to your mouth uh, is called a regulator. And so the regulator kind of connects you to that air. And so Right? When we find ourselves as a fish out of water, when the world's going crazy, the world's going to hell, and we're the only ones who think we have any knowledge or ability, everybody's weird, maybe we're the weirdo, right? what do we do? We've got to stay anchored to something. We've got to have something provide us a lifeline. Uh, for Peter Parker, as Spider-Man, his lifeline, as he was fighting all these bad guys, his lifelines were his friends and family uh, and his superpowers. When Jonah was sent out to do God's work, even though he didn't want to do what God had to say, his lifeline was to God. He stayed tethered to God. And so as, as we're living our lives and we're trying to deal with being a fish out of water, I think the one thing that we can always count on, the one thing that never changes, the one thing that's always there for us is God. Right? In the New Testament book of Hebrews, which is basically just a really long sermon written in the first century, it's said this way in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Right? 
So if we feel that, that we're in a world that's lost, if we feel that we're in a situation that's lost, we don't know what to do. We're the fish out of water. We're, we're gasping for some kind of lifeline, right? God is it, right? So, so God's like our air tank. God is what keeps us alive. God is what keeps us going. So how do we tether? How do we connect to God? What, what, what's our regulator, right? I, I think there are a lot of regulators that we have to stay connected to God when we're in a difficult circumstance or, or situation, some of that is praying to God. Some of that's reading the Bible. Some of it is worshiping together. Some of it's being in a small group with other Christians who can, who can surround us and help us get through life together. For some of us, it's serving God. So we have to be actively pursuing this relationship with God who is our air tank, who will keep us alive and will help us navigate through this circumstance in which we feel like a fish out of water. Again, Jonah, even though he disagreed with God, stayed connected to God through direct contact, kind of this, this, this discussion, this prayer life is what, what Jonah was doing. And I think there's three specific ways, three specific ways we can apply this, questions that we can ask ourselves when we feel like a fish out of water. And the, the first question is, what's God's will for me in this situation? What does God want me to do? I don't know if God placed me here, if I placed myself here, if someone else placed me here, but, but I'm here. What does God want me to do? For Jonah, it was pretty simple. I want you to go and preach to your enemies, right? Sometimes we wish in our lives that God would be as direct to us. And, and so sometimes we need to pray. Sometimes we need to read scripture. A lot of times we need to talk to other Christians and say, you know me, you know this situation. What do you think God's calling me to do? Right? And, and so some kind of combination of that, we, we, we kind of usually figure out what God's wanting us to do. In my life, my experience, usually I, I figure out what God wants me to do. The hard part is that having the guts to do what God wants me to do. And so, so that's kind of what it is like in my life. But there's sometimes I don't know what I'm doing and I have, to, I have to seek help. But what is it that God's calling you to do in this situation? And the second question is, how can I you know, maintain, how can I act with integrity, right, in this situation, right? So for Jonah, he was true to himself. He's like, God, I, I, I know what you want me to do. I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it, but I want you to know that, that I'm, I'm doing this against my will, right? So, so Jonah didn't lie to God. He, he, he was honest, right? He wasn't exactly faithful in his emotions or his thoughts, but he went through the process. He was straight up with God. God, I'm going to do what you asked me to do, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm not a big fan of it. So, so Jonah acted with integrity. He was true to himself. He had some growing to do, but at least he was honest with God. Right? So how can I act with integrity in this circumstance, in this situation in, in which I find myself? And then the third question is, how can I love people who think differently? Right? I'm a fish out of water. There's someone around me who disagrees with me or does things differently. How can I love them? Right? What does that look like? How can I take? How can I care for them? Right? With Jonah, it was through his actions. He didn't have any warm fuzzy feelings for the people of Nineveh, but he did the work that God asked him to do. He went and he preached the gospel to them. He, through his actions, he loved the Ninevites. Right? Not through his heart, not through his emotions. Right? In the Bible, love is an action. Right? And so if we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance dealing with people who think differently than us, then a great question is, right, what am I supposed to be doing here? How do I maintain integrity while I do it? But how do I care for the people who think differently from me? This is the hard part in America. 
When people think differently from us, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, conservative or a liberal on this issue or that issue, what we like to do is we like to demonize the other person and say, you're wrong, I'm right, you're the reason that our country's going to hell, you're the reason that everything's broken down in the world, right? So we demonize and we, we pin everything on them, right? But God says to us who follow Jesus, how can you in this situation love people who are different from you. And so Jonas says, reluctantly, but he does it, through my actions I will love them even though it's not in my heart. Right? And so in your circumstance right now, how would you answer these three questions? Because I think they're very powerful questions for us to wrestle with. Now, interesting enough, uh, at the end of Jonah, after he's done all this, he goes outside the city and he sits down and he's still whining and He's like this whiny crybaby, and he's sitting out there, and it's hot, and God causes this plant to grow up over Jonah, and it gives him shade, and he finally has a little bit of a relief, and he's kind of calming down. Then this, this worm comes up, and it eats the plant, and in less than a day, the plant's gone, and Jonah's back to whining again. So let's pick up with whiny Jonah uh, in chapter 4. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about that plant? It is right, Jonah said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Jonah, you care more about a plant that lived for one day than about the salvation of 120,000 people. Dude, you got to get it together here, okay? Who are you to do that? You didn't cause the plant to, to grow up and live, right? You took shelter under it. It's a plant. It lived for a day. And you're more upset about the plant than you are about me saving 120,000 people. Jonah, you really need to take some time and consider what you're doing. And I guess a question for me, a question for us is, what are the plants in our lives? What do we love in our life more than we love uh, more than we love the people of God who are around us. Right? What do we focus our time and our money and our energy on? What, what do we care about more than people who are far from God, who are different than we are, who look different than we are, who think different than we are? Right? What, is it, what are the plants in our lives that, that we have made into idols that we care more about than people who are far from God? And I think in America, one of our plants that we hang on to is being right. I'd rather be right than anything, right? You're wrong. You're the problem. You need to change, right? I, I've got to be so right that I don't care if your life falls apart. That's just one plan. What, what are the plants in your life? What are the plants in our lives? What are, the, what are the things we care more about than care about the people that God has placed in our lives around us, right? I think that's an important message that the, the book of Jonah teaches us to look at. Now, I think in my life, the most out-of-place, fish-out-of-water experience in my life 
uh, I can point back to was actually when I went to school to learn how to be a pastor. Uh, that sounds kind of interesting, but that, that was it for me. So when, you, when you're studying to be a pastor, you've got a couple of options. You can go to a seminary uh, or you can go to a divinity school. Both are equally valid. Both are equally challenging. Uh, both are graduate level academics. You can get master's degrees. You can get doctorate degrees, all that kind of stuff. Both very valid, awesome routes to be a pastor. A seminary tends to be usually more uh, of one specific Christian denomination uh, that raises up pastors to go serve into that denomination. A very powerful way to, to become a pastor. A divinity school also raises up people to be pastors. Uh, but a divinity school also, there's a lot of academic studies of religions from around the world. So it's not just a certain denomination, not just Christianity. It could be all kinds of different ro- world religions. Uh, and some people don't become pastors. They go on to teach religion in schools and colleges and universities. And so you just got to figure out where God's calling you to be in school. And so I felt that God was calling me to a divinity school uh, up in Massachusetts, right outside of uh, Boston. Uh, and so when I went to uh, the Divinity School, for the first time in my life, I was a minority. I was not in the majority as being a white man from the South who was a Christian who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So when I went to the Divinity School, uh, there was not a lot of me running around up there, which was one of the reasons I chose it. I wanted to be exposed to different kinds of thinking, different kinds of people. And so there were over 50 different religious traditions represented in my divinity school, right? All kinds of world religions and denominations. And uh, within that, there were all kinds of people from all over the world, right? From, from all the continents and all the countries all over the place. And so for the first time in my life, I was a minority. And again, that's part of the reason I chose to go have this experience. And when I was there, it was great. I got to interact with people. I learned a lot about people. Uh, but I also learned that some, some people, a handful of my classmates, some of them really resented the fact that I believe that Jesus was the, is the only way uh, to God. And, and they really had an issue with that, saying, you know, everything is equal. Every path is equally valid. How can you say one path is the sure way? And that's very elitist. And I'm like, wow, that's just what I think, and that's what I believe. And so, you know, uh, and so some people had a real major issue with that. And then some people, just a handful of people, had a real issue. It seemed to me that I was a white man. Uh, and, and they seemed to imply that every negative thing that white men had done throughout history was in part my fault because I was a white man, which was hard for me to understand because I was only 22 years old. I hadn't lived long enough uh, to do all the damage that I could. Now, give me about five or 10 minutes and I'm pretty sure I can offend anybody. And so that's one of my spiritual gifts. Just, you know, give, give me that opportunity as Kyle Thompson to do that. But don't judge me because I was born as a white man, which again, never experienced that in my entire life. Now, I thought that was unfair, Still think it's unfair, but it was also good for me. It was good for me because I had just a small, a small, small little experience of what billions of people on the earth every day encounter. True oppression. I didn't face any oppression. I just faced some simple social kind of awkwardness, a very, very small, small kind of, you know, challenge. But, but there are people in the world Every day, billions of people who face true uh, oppression uh, because of the color of their skin, 
uh, because they're a woman, because of the nation that they were born in, because of what they believe in, in religion, because of where they, were, where they come from. Uh, and it, it's majorly unfair, right? And I've lived a, 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 a prized life, right? And, and so just for me to have a small slice of that was a good experience for me, but it still wasn't fun, right? And so then, you know, again, fish out of water, trying to serve God, how am I going to deal with this, right? So, so I don't know that I asked these three questions exactly as I have them today, but I did think through this process, you know, God, why am I here? I'm here because you call me to be a pastor. You call me to go back to North Carolina, be a pastor, but I also need to pastor to the people that are with me right now. So what does that look like, right? How can I serve with integrity here? Right? I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm not going to apologize for that, but how, how can I ask people who have other faiths, why do you believe what you believe? What do you believe? Right? How can we get along with each other? Is this going to be an opportunity to learn from each other? And, and I can still stick with what I believe. I can do this out of integrity. And, and then finally, the biggest question, how am I going to care for these people that I'm with? Some of them you know, are very kind in disagreeing with me, but some of them are, are in my face and just you know, saying all this stuff about me. How can I love them? as Christ would have me love them. And so the simple way that I tried to do that was just to be kind, to try to ask questions, to understand where they're coming from, to ultimately just have to agree that we disagree about things uh, and try to be friendly in doing that. And in some unique, rare cases, we just determined that it's probably good for us not to spend time with each other, right? So it's a challenging thing to live this out in life. In your life, when you feel a fish out of water, What's God calling you to do? How can you maintain integrity through that in your actions? And how do you care for, how do you love through your actions the people who think differently than you? Right? Just one more thing about Jonah, and you think about Jonah being a fish out of water. Um, Jonah really kind of is a precursor to Jesus. Jonah was a man who was alive, who who was missing for three days in the belly of the whale, and suddenly he's alive again. Right? He's spit out from death. Right? Jesus, when he was walking on the earth as the Son of God, they asked him, give us a sign. Show us that you are the Son of God. Prove to us that you're the Son of God. And he said, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. One day soon in my life, I'm going to die and I'm going to be in the ground for three days. And then at the end of that, I'm going to come out and I'm going to be alive. Right? And so you think about Jesus, he, his story is the ultimate fish out of water story. He left heaven to come to the earth as a human being and, and also remaining God so that he could die on a cross and come back to life so that you and I can be restored into a right relationship with God. So that all the things that we've done, all the guilt and shame that we, we have, it can be forgiven. And the guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace. And we can live life to the full with God on this earth and live forever with God in the kingdom of heaven. If, like the people of Nineveh, we recognize God is God and we repent. We turn away from the wrong living that we're doing and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm living in a way that doesn't honor you. I believe in your son, Jesus. Come, please forgive me, God. I don't want to carry around guilt and shame. I want to live life to the full. I want to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's what Jesus did. That's why he came. Jesus is the ultimate fish out of water example. Now, if we are followers of Jesus and our leader is a fish out of water, the ultimate fish out of water, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to be fish out of water. 
as long as we live on this earth before Jesus comes back, there are going to be people who resist us, who make fun of us, who challenge us, who, who in some cases in, in the world today even kill people because of faith in Jesus. And so, right, as followers of Jesus, we've got to understand that our normal operating system is fish out of water because we stand for something so different than what the world teaches. And so when we find ourselves like that, we need to stay tethered to the, to, to the Holy Spirit, right? To our air tank through scripture, through prayer, through worship, through small groups, through service, through the power of God to navigate our life because it is what it is. Now, back to scuba diving. There's one more thing that I want to show you on a scuba suit. Not only is there one regulator to breathe, there's, there's a backup regulator. We've got a picture of it. Usually they're bright yellow uh, and they're called an octopus. Right, which fits really well with Spider-Man because one of his great villains was Dr. Octopus. We got a picture of him up there. Right? You know what the octopus is? It, in case your regulator stops working, then you can grab your octopus and you can breathe and you're going to live. You're going to stay linked to your oxygen source. Cool thing that also happens if, if someone else who's diving with you, if their regulator fails, then they can grab your octopus and they can put it on their mouth and you will help save their life. Through your air, they will breathe, and they will continue to live. And it's an amazing image. It's this amazing metaphor. We've talked a lot about what it's like for us to be a fish out of water. I want to shift the conversation right now, just briefly, and, and, and focus now. Who are the people in your life that you go to school with, that you work with, that are in your neighborhood, that are in your family? Who are the people in your life who are the fish out of water? who are made fun of, who are ostracized, who don't fit in, who do everything that they can to try to fit into the world, but they don't, right? And what are we doing to reach out to them, right? How are we sharing the loving power, the good news, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit with them, right? Because we've got it. We're breathing it in. We're following Jesus. And, and, and I guess what I'm saying is how many of us are so focused on our, our breathing in from our regulators that we fail to see that people are drowning all around us? And we've got the good news of Jesus. Through our words and through our actions, we can offer our octopus, right, our regulators so that they can live. So it's not just about us feeling as a fish out of water. Who are the people in our lives who feel like a fish out of water? And how are we giving them the air of the Holy Spirit to breathe? Maybe that's why God brought you here today. Is to say there's someone in your life who's in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ and that you can offer that through your words and through your actions. Brothers and sisters, when you find that you're a fish out of water, be sure to take your scuba gear, but also be ready to share your octopus because someone around you needs the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.